0: Let's start with prayer, and then we'll begin our discussion of the uh, duties of elders. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather in your name, pray that we would open our hearts to your word, to study diligently, and to encourage one another to love and good works, and give us a love for the truth. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this morning, watch this. We're on part nine. And you might wonder why it takes so long. Well, the reason is it's one of the more important topics in the entire Bible, the message of the church, the leadership of the church, the duties of the leaders of the church, the importance of every member of the body of Christ the Lord's flock, protecting them, we've talked about that and now we want to talk about guarding against wolves, both external and if we get to it internal, or the other way around so <clears throat> we, I have this verse up here again because it gives us the context, we've covered this quite thoroughly Acts 20, 28, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his blood. We've covered all of that. If you weren't here, it's on the website and you can uh, listen to the other parts of it, but we're still exploring the nuances of being on guard. Notice the term flock, we covered that. It's an analogy, sheep, shepherds purchased by the blood of Christ. And so we mentioned the overseers, elders, shepherds are all the same people. It's not a hierarchy, a different leadership. Now let's go to the next slide. And uh, that's 1 Peter 5 1a 2 through 4. And we did cover some of this, I think, or at least alluded to it, but this is an important cross reference. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion. But voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this is very loaded, and I've mentioned some of this um, Last week we looked at Luke 15, where they grumbled with Jesus received sinners. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned Luke 18. There, there's a Maybe we want to turn there. The warning is against bad motives, trying to gain status by lording it over people, having authority and putting people under your thumb, or gaining accolades from people that think they were pious or um, not really wanting to care for the flock and so on. This is all found in Jesus' teachings and warnings. Luke 18.11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. How many of you know if you're praying to yourself, it's not a good uh, place to look for your help. Self, self doesn't answer self's prayer. So he's, his, even his prayer is done out there to be seen. Look how much I pray. He was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's pointing at somebody who's worse. Now I hope you realize that self-righteous religion is very good at finding somebody worse in order to make ourselves convinced that we're not so bad. And that's not helpful to anyone and we certainly do not want leaders like that. The Pharisee had leadership Positions in Israel. And so the idea of bad motives amongst leaders is as old as the human race and the fall. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. Certainly see it here when Jesus uh, uh, confronts the leadership of Israel. So the Pharisee praying to himself looks at others as uh, uh, here's how it was said by a one, one wonderful teacher I had in Bible College, who had been a military chaplain for 20 years during the Korean War, and had uh, seen just about everything. And then, in his elder years, was teaching in Bible College, trying to keep young men going into ministry from self-destructing, because he'd seen it all. And uh, wh- I loved his classes, by the way. But one of his, it's maybe a trite saying, but he says, whatever you do, don't use everyone else as a dark background to show off your own would-be brilliance. Like you have a diamond on black velvet. Look at me. Well, we sawed off a lot of that in that particular moment. And then the falls uh, were very, very serious And the best attitude is to realize that the only reason anyone would even care about the flock is that they are cognizant of the fact that they're lost sinners saved by grace, that God was merciful. Peter knew well, he calls himself a fellow elder. He knew well what it was like to fail, He knew well what it was like to think that he would not fail. If you look at the Gospels, remember when Jesus predicted that he would deny him? He said, no, everybody else does. I won't. And then it happened three times. And then he was shamed by a a servant girl. Weren't you one of those that were with him? And then he was smitten And then there was the other issue in Galatians um, concerning avoiding the the Gentiles when people from James came from Jerusalem. And Peter, so Peter wasn't, he when we fail, God forbid, but it happens, we need to humble ourselves, realize the danger, and not be full of ourselves, but just realize that God humbles those who walk in pride and that we need to get to him and have a circumspect attitude toward others realizing the grace it takes for anyone to serve God the fact that many people will will not be like a Peter who says well I won't fail there are others who think they can never succeed people are different in their needs. Some are downtrodden. They need to be encouraged. Others are young and bold and full of themselves. And that's the Lord's business to knock us down. He's very good at that. But whatever the case, the dangers here are just laid out. Okay? Um, Not under compulsion. Voluntarily. Not for sore gain. The danger of money with eagerness and examples of the flock. And so this idea of status amongst our peers is the thing that shoots down. Reverend Snow, that that teacher I'm telling you about, he told story after story warning us, don't do it. Don't make everyone around you that dark background that show off your own would be brilliance because you you'll fail too. Uh, yes uh, Br- brother brian we've been talking for a long time about the institutional church
1: we see the insult church is just imploding all over could you make the statement that institutional churches as a
0: whole they lord over people well we talked about that uh, several times and it's certainly on my mind every single day because i feel strongly to explain what happens the institutional church was invented after the death of the apostles they didn't understand the church as an institution during the lifetime of the apostles and i think i mentioned on good friday with uh, the incident in, in john with uh, the Caiaphas, even though they had objective e- evidence. They, they didn't claim Lazarus wasn't raised from the dead. He was walking around. Everybody knew. This is a small town. They knew what was going on. So they thought they had to get rid of Jesus and Lazarus because their position in their understanding of the temple institution And the hierarchy, the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, the oral tradition, they had status, and they were concerned about losing it. So Lazarus was a threat to their status. And so that sort of motivation, which is lurking everywhere because of the fall, will harden the hearts of leaders to the point where their status vis-a-vis other people with clout and significance will override any concern about the hurting individual sheep who have nothing to offer them in other words they don't have money they can't give you a promotion. That they like you isn't going to do you any good because they're considered nobodies, like the women, that wept, the one who wept at Jesus' feet, the tax gatherers. So he's, he laid out compassion, healing, and redemption to people who had nothing to offer anybody other than to taint Jesus' own status in the eyes of his contemporaries. But that's what the good shepherd looks like. The chief shepherd. He cares about the sheep, not just what other people think. So here's how that applies to the church as institution. Institutions by the nature of the fall and the social relationships that people have with each other after the fall exist to reward those who promote the needs of the institution. And so those who protect the institution, enhance the institution, grow the institution, and making the institution more profound in the eyes of the world, more clout. More significance, those are the ones who will be rewarded. Those who would protest in favor of the needs of these little ones who believe in me, Jesus called it believers, are not going to gain anything but maybe be expelled. Expo- Interestingly, that's how Eric and I met as he was on, Eric was, I had graduated He Eric ended up on his way out but we've covered this so many times remember when we asked the provost I opened up what I had learned from good quality teachers we studied the Lord's Supper, means of grace baptism, the, the things that churches do that were no longer taught at all Because they were doing the new, what what was it? I would call it new age is an old term now, isn't it? Emergent, yeah. Don't you think your students need to learn these things now? In other words, do we need to know the significance of the Lord's Supper in the year 2004, which is about the time we had that meeting? It's existed since Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He looks over at Eric, how much of your money do you want back? In other words, we're not going to teach that. It's not going to be here. Why? Because the Lord's Supper is for the flock, not the institution. The Lord's Supper is for these little ones who believe in me, the least of these, my brothers, my brethren. And it gives hope to people who have no status and who have nothing to offer the institution. But this cutting-edge... Well, it went from the emergent to enneagram to mystical processes, and then the pronouns, and now it's just, I mean, we can't keep up with where it all goes. And so status in the eyes of the world, which will make the institution able to pay the bills and expand and have building projects and become significant, will out weigh the needs of the individual person who wants to hear the word of God, be trained in the scriptures, and to be equipped to be able to help people and care for a flock. That just disappears. Because the the glamour and the clout is just blinding people. And it's, it's really sad. So that process has always happened. Church history explains how that happens again and again and again. Okay, yes, Rich. Yeah,
2: 1 Corinthians chapter 1, do you see your calling, brother, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish, the weak, and the base, and the things which are despised and nullify the things that are that no flesh should boast in his presence. Could you talk about why God is so interested in the little people? And, and, and he's, not, he's not impressed with a high and mighty, but he likes bald, short, white truck drivers for some reason.
0: <laughs> I don't know why. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, hair status has no significance. <laughs> Unless you're a governor out in California. Um, now, here's, here's the deal. The, what we learn is that he also saves rich, popular people. Chloe's people, uh, Lydia. And so the status comes from humbling yourself, believing the gospel, and cleaving to Christ the head. So when we talk about the organic church as defined differently from the institutional church, the institution is a system of government with a broad hierarchy with various needs and goals the organic church is such that every there's analogies in the bible but the, the one in 1st corinthians 12 is this jesus the head is unique the head of the church the per, every single member is attached to the head the physical body seems a little different in that cuz the head then you got the shoulders no the point is the organic church Every member is a member of the body of Christ and attached to the head. Every member, whoever they may appear in the eyes of the religious world or the secular world, has direct access to the Christ, who is the authority, the chief shepherd, who we're waiting to appear, who's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high in Hebrews, Psalm 110, verse 1, the, the lowliest saint that nobody notices can cry out to Jesus, help me, I'm not very articulate, I have a need, and to go to the Lord and directly connect to the Lord himself the right hand of God. That's the organic church, and we need one another. That's the point. So it's, it's for those who need Christ. Not for it's, those it's who are self-sufficient. Those, it's, it's, it's those, the church consists of those who know him. And need him? We all need him. Right. Some people don't know they need him. Okay? Everyone who's born of God has a hunger for the truth, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. So if you come to Christ, you have a love for the truth, and Frankly, Look, I'll tell you something that I think is patently clear, but it's not seen. To be joined to Christ and to have hunger for the things that he values, to know him, to proclaim the cross, the blood atonement, redemption, is going to make you hated by the world, including the religious world. Now, that's not to say... We're, we're better than anybody else. It's just the fact. The institution will punish people who are not promoting what will make the institution get bigger and more successful. And thus, Eric was on the out because he wanted the truth taught rather than philosophy and progressive whatever. Yes.
3: Okay, I want to go back to Mark uh, 13. Uh, verses, oh, if I could read that real quickly. Okay. Okay. Uh, and if then anyone says, behold, ye, here is the Christ, or behold, here he he is, or, behold, he is there. Do not believe him, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead the stray, if possible, the elect. Now, I kind of think everybody, I cannot see in any other people's hearts, Um, But I assume if you're here that dogged to want to learn about the Word of God, we're talking about the elect here. Uh, But um, I'll leave that to God as to who really has accepted Christ or Christ has really accepted him. Nonetheless, I'm talking about the next two slides, four and five. I'll be very interested in what you have to say because uh, some are interested in uh, the elect or um, are they being led astray? Uh, Are they being tantalized? Oh,
0: absolutely. And therefore, I'll be interested in the next two slides. Uh, The the passage you cited in Mark 13 has to do with uh, if they say here he is and there he is. Okay, the Antichrists are false anointed ones. The term Christ, ha Christos, means the anointed one. And whenever you hear people claiming to be able to do signs and wonders because they have a special anointing, the anointed person of God who's coming into town to do signs and wonders, they might as well put out a banner, say a false Christ is coming. Amen. Now, in the early 90s, uh, some of the first articles we published was about the anointing in the Christian. Every Christian is anointed, you all have an anointing. I believe that's in First John. The special anointed one refers only to Christ who ascended to heaven. So in that passage you say, here he is, there he is. That refers to people who claim to have a special anointed. That's what Christ means. And being able to do signs and wonders. However they define that. To prove that they 're an anointed one we 're told don 't believe them. okay that 's who gets the the news coverage that 's who gets the big crowds, and that 's another whole thing but that's that we 've been talking about every Christian is know an we don 't know who the elect are, God does, but we know what the fruit looks like those who are the elect are those who confess christ who honor christ who teach the word of god and to say that i have the holy spirit i'm born of god how do you know that he the spirit of truth who i'll send he will testify of me so i listen are you testifying about christ if you're truly anointed and you have the spirit You'll testify about Christ, Amen. and you can listen to an hour and a half of the great man of God and never hear one thing about the personal work of Christ. That's right. and so you know right there it's not from God i don 't care how many signs they do. now, as we go forward here, let me let's, let's first of all clear this one as we go on. Um, Jesus Christ receives sinners, so the flock of God consists of saved sinners from all walks of life. You're not disqualified if you're rich. You're not disqualified if you're poor. You're not disqualified for any reason other than refusal to love the truth and come to Christ, who is the truth. All right, and that's so the gospel goes out. We don't know who the elect are, but we know what the gospel is. The elect become evident when they respond by God's grace. That's what it means. So here, uh um, the oversight under compulsion, voluntarily, according to the will of God. It's a thankless duty. It's not going to enhance you. If you do it biblically, it won't enhance your status. It won't give you accolades in the uh, eyes of the world, it may cause you to be distressed even amongst your own family because of the pressures and but nevertheless this, and this the only reason anybody would believe this is that they believe God cannot lie, God has spoken, and this is true so let 's read this now, so you don 't the ill-gotten gain the status the power it's taken out you don't get that nor lording over the power to tell somebody else what to do how many lawgivers are there one. one james 4 12 the lawgiver so you don't get to be a lawgiver so what do you get proving to be examples to the flock and when here's what happens here's the reward And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So if you don't believe there's an eternal reward for serving faithfully, you won't serve faithfully. If you want the reward now, if you want the honor now, you want to be loved by religious consumers now, and you want to get rich now, you'll never do it. It's not worth it. Um, institutions do not have the power to give anybody an unfading crown of glory. Does that make sense? Thank you, by the way, for allowing me to spend this much time on this. This is preparation for writing. I don't have a lot of peers to bounce these things off of. And I want people to feel free to disagree if you see a flaw. Negative feedback on something that's a weak argument its the bo- most helpful thing that can happen. Uh, but if it's right, I think it'll stand up biblically. So the, what if we define the church biblically? I don't know what all would happen, but probably I think God's elect are scattered out in all these institutions, and they don't even know each other, and they're dying on the vine. I know that just from testimony from many, many people. They'll be in a huge church and say, I can't find even four or five people to gather together with in a Bible study to pray with. If they're here, I don't know who they are. They're too busy doing all the things the institution has going on. What a tragedy. Shouldn't God's flock be with each other and have elders that care about them? Does that make sense? It's, to me, it's so obvious. How could it be missed? But yet, it's missed. Why is this missed? I think the answer is the secularization of the Christian religion. For whatever reason. Okay, let's get to that slide you mentioned. <clears throat> Wait a second. Here, where am I? Here we go. Here, Acts twenty twenty nine. I I know that after my departure. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So, this is the external wolves. Wolves don't have the best interests of sheep in mind. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm stating the obvious. Wolves would love to munch tasty sheep. Now, the spiritual wolves, what's the practice? Well, what they do is they draw off, they they isolate sheep by telling them things that you can only get from them. These are false teachers, and Christians who want to learn the truth are the ones who are targeted. And they'll come with some eccentric message that will pull people to themselves and say, every other Christian preacher and teacher. She got it wrong. I know something nobody else knows, and let me tell you what it is. And it may be KJV only, or uh, this, uh, somebody published an article. I, one of my articles, Rebuking Hyperdispensationalism, published the whole thing and intera- interact with. They're claiming Jesus Christ, the head of the church, has no authority to teach the church. So you can ignore everything. In other words, Eric is really missing it by teaching Matthew. They literally say Matthew's teaching does not apply to the church. It's for some mythical kingdom that was never initiated because the Jews rejected it, so the church has different head, authority, and so on, not the teachings of Jesus. They actually publish, why would they publish something refuting them? But then they claim that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm teaching salvation by works. So there you go. Well, that's, see, that's an eccentric doctrine that pulls people in and they feel like I know something you don't know. And I know that the church is only under the teachings of Paul and only some of his teachings. Eric ran into someone who's was claiming church is under every other teaching but Paul. So there's, the wolves will grab onto something to pull you aside so you can only get this from me. The extreme versions are cults, yes.
1: Just yesterday I was listening to a uh, pastor who was saying that he's been under attack because he preaches repentance. He's being attacked because they say repentance is a form of
0: work salvation. That's the same issue. Yeah. They, that's what they say repentance was only for the Jews the Jews didn't accept the offer of the kingdom so withdrawn repentance is not for Gentiles what we need to do they say is the only gospel that they affirm would be 1 Corinthians 15 what is it Eric 1 through 7 so you give mental assent to facts about Jesus as laid out First Corinthians 15, that's it. And we're not even under the new covenant because that was only for the Jews. It was never established. So we don't have a covenant with God. I mentioned that in the article. That's eccentric. It's out there. So I would say this. Beware. They'll try to tell you that you don't even need what we've known to be true, which is the gospel, the 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 new covenant, blood atonement, Lord's Supper, the, that Jesus is in fact the head of the church. The church is not something that showed up because the Jews decided not to accept the kingdom, so now we have the church, which is something else. Yes. Linda.
4: As we talk about things that some pastors are teaching out there, there's and we all know Andy Stanley, and he's now on a crusade to help the church specifically step back away from a text-based faith.
0: A what based?
4: Text-based. Text? Text. We cannot be, yeah, as in the Bible, you know. We have to step away from that. Well, the attacks
0: are so many. There's so many ways to attack. That's interesting. One attack is you're not allowed to have a Bible in the common vernacular. Luther and company fought that during the Reformation. People need the Bible in the common vernacular. Another one, words have many meanings. You can't know what it says. So you need to ask God what it means. And we've talked about that. That is a fancy way of saying the reader determines the meaning. The truth is, the writers of Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's meaning is what was written in the text, okay? It's our job to learn how to study and to read, to see what the text means and how it applies. And the validity of that should be patently obvious. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, He cited scripture according to what it means by by the scripture itself. Satan twists scripture. That's the same thing that happened in the garden. We just recorded a podcast yesterday. We did did some more recording. Started in Genesis. Where did this deception come from? Has God said... Can you add the scripture? Well, you can't touch it. No, it didn't say that. You're going to gain something. Somebody's withholding something for you. So the shepherds, the elders, are to guard the flock knowing this is going to happen. And if you're grounded in sound doctrine, you're given the equipment to study for yourself and the ability to see what the most important things are the doctrine of Christ and, and the, the things that are clearly taught, then when this stuff comes along, you're not that likely to run out after the wolf. you got to be able to see who the wolves are. And it doesn't just work to publish the names of wolves because some nobody heard of. They'll change their name, they'll change their organizational uh, structure. They'll change something. But they have the same doctrine. So there's no end to the need to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So they won't, they'll come in among you. And it won't take long. Where they say, well, wait a second. Did you know now, now there's these links that you get sent. Somebody says, "Well, I, I need a church, so they come by." Hey, I got i I'm looking for something, and then go meet with them. Next thing you know, I start getting these links, and they're attacking the Bible by saying the Textus Receptus is the only good one. So they, the King James only has been refuted. So now it's the Textus Receptus. You got to have that because this and this and this. Watch this video. Follow this link. When you get done, you're convinced that your Bible's no good. And the ones promoting it don't even know the Greek. But they're telling you that you don't know what you're talking about, that these guys are doing all these conspiracies to give you the wrong Bible. And as soon as I see that, I say, bye. No, I will not listen for one second. I'm not going to follow all your links. I'm not going to spend hours I've already done this. I wrote about it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's bogus. It's bogus. They come in. They want you to not believe your Bible. And so we go, Eric and I go overboard, if some might think, telling you transparently why we're following the text that we do, what translation, what the Greek says, because we want you to be safe from the wolves that are telling you you can't believe your Bible. Okay, uh, so the, they, the we need to guard against the wolves wolves are more of a threat to the church now earlier verse 28 said beware beware is a warning sign I think I used this analogy when I was a kid they didn't want people getting in the junkyard to steal parts off of cars they're in the junkyard because they want to pay for them so they have a big fence and then they have a Doberman salivating with fangs, beware of the dog. So once you jump over the fence to steal apart, the, the dog's after you and that kept people out of there. So beware means, wait a second, don't go there. So Jesus used beware, L- let me, uh, Here, if you want to turn here, turn to Luke 20.46. Luke 20.46. I looked up the word beware to see some of the key places it's used in the New Testament, and I'll share some of those with you. One of them is in Luke 20.46. Luke Acts, by the way, two-volume work, same author, Luke. So... It's found in Acts 20, written by Luke, and also Luke twenty forty Here is a beware. This will give you an idea of what to beware. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectable, respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues, he places it of honor at banquets. Luke 20, 47, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Luke 20, 46, 47. So Jesus, before Paul says this, says, Beware. And what he says, beware about is religious leaders who want honor and status in the eyes of religious potential religious consumers, and they want to parade around in glorious garb so people see them, say, look at that. Isn't that impressive? Why would you listen to some lowly person born in Bethlehem Hometown of Nazareth. Questionable birth status. And he's telling you things. And look who flocks to him. Tax gatherers, sinners, prostitutes, lepers, Gentiles. And look at us. The most important people all endorse us. That's that's right there. So the warning in... Luke 20 and the warning in Acts 20 are about the same thing. And the, the lure of status is so strong. One thing you can count on, anybody as they're young and wanting to serve God, to go to the ministry, I don't know anybody whose goal is to fail. Okay. So we don't intend to fail. We want to be equipped. But the lure is so strong to do what will cause you not to fail in the world of whatever group you're part of. So in Israel, how not to fail was to gain the accolades of the religious authorities. Luke 20. Jesus didn't do that. And warned his disciples not to. Every institution, denomination, um, has a pecking order of honor and will punish those who upset it. And one way to fail... Is to not be able to raise enough money for the budget of the institution i know for a fact that that's why things changed because when we when i was at the seminary with the greatest teachers you could ever hope to sit under as far as their knowledge of the topic the ones whose commentaries i now read when that was the case and people were be trained in sound doctrine the group was losing $3 million a year and had to get money from the college or they had more money. Once the switch went to the seeker sensitive, first it started with the Bill Hybels, then with the emergent, they went to $10, 12000000 in the black. Oh. Okay, so you, how do you argue to the Board of Regents? And, and It's easy for me to say other people have bad motives. We're all prone to it. But how do you argue that it's better to lose the 3 million and teach the truth than to be 12 million in the black and have people flocking to come? So few Eric Galmas don't go there anymore. One out of how many in the class? You know, 30, 40 people. One or two say, oh, well, I don't think I'm going to go here if they're going to teach emergent. Institutions like the one in Israel, the Sanhedrin, survived by the accolades in support of the masses. Does that make sense? And the gospel talks about the narrow gate, the narrow path you that are a, work, a walk on. How do you avoid that? How do you avoid it? How do you not want to get in that situation? How do you want to have a, not have a provost who has to explain to the regents why he's three million into red? You don't want to be in that situation. How do you avoid getting into it? By not having an institution to start with, by training the church face-to-face, one-on-one, and keeping to the lowest possible level the needs of the superstructure. So that even with hardly any money, you don't fail. Does that make sense? I'm trying out my book idea on you all things for your patience. But I think it's obvious. The question might be, well, if it's so obvious, why has not it been seen by many, many people? Well, the answer is, well, it, it has been seen, but Christendom is a conglomeration of institutions. It's harder to see something's wrong when you're in the middle of it and being rewarded by it. And they're saying we have the gospel. Look at our creed. Look at we have the Nicene Creed. We have we know we have the Scriptures. And who are you to say we're apostate? And that's kind of how it goes. So I'm, I'm just laying out my thoughts. But I think it's based. This is good to learn what it says here: guard against the wolves. Yes. If you're a member of an
1: institutional church and you succumb to societal issues like we see going on now, well, there's no persecution in it like Jesus said you were going to suffer. So the, the the gain for them by going in that direction is nobody's
0: going to hate us, nobody's going to persecute you know, us. No, you'll get, a, you'll get a, a raise and a promotion. Right. Absolutely. Now imagine, yeah, go ahead, Dan.
5: Oh, I was just going to, uh, I think it would be helpful if, um, you know, in writing this book, which I fully support you doing, um, is to define exactly what you mean by institution, just because I think sometimes people will go to, like I just I w- I had gone to Google just to get a definition of, of go institution. Go ahead, we need to know yeah, that. Yeah, I'll just read it real quick. Um, Just the first thing that comes up, it just says uh, an established organization or corporation, especially of public character. So you're...
0: That's pretty simple. That'd be yeah, I know, it's a anybody. simple
5: one. And then um, uh, let's see, the next one says uh, a facility or establishment in which people such as the sick or needy uh, live and receive care typically in a, in a confined setting and often without individual consent. That'd be like
0: a hospital yeah, or something like that. Okay, so,
5: so just, just defining what uh, what okay. you're meaning by institution in relation okay. to the church I think would be helpful. All
0: right, very good. Absolutely astute. Um, the most obvious institution is Roman Catholicism. We're talking about religion. One thing about religious institution called Christian is that it perpetuates itself. And it will perpetuate itself into perpetuity through processes that will preserve itself and preserve its status. The case of Jesus and the Sanhedrin, the answer was judgment came. And they remember in Caiaphas said we'll lose our place and our status well, they did lose their place and their status the only valid religious institution that will arise is during a millennium when Jesus is here reigning what they had wrong wasn't that there's to be a throne in Jerusalem and a king and an establishment but that You could have it without they reject the king but they want to have a kingdom so aside from Jesus reigning on earth during the millennium the institutions are run by sinners now here's how I'm seeing this once established many times for noble reasons most of the evangelical institutions were established to preserve gospel preaching and for exen- for example I knew a man godly man who during the 50's established one after another Baptist church in Wisconsin he would look for a town that had nothing but Lutheran Catholic and Presbyterian churches and other old line denomination maybe Methodist he'd go into town didn't start a Sunday me- meeting he'd rent a place and start a Sunday night meeting Because most of those groups didn't have Sunday night. And he preached the gospel on Sunday nights. And that's how he found God's elect scattered in the they'd come on Sunday night, oh yeah we're hearing the gospel. Start baptizing people when they're converted. Pretty soon they had a Baptist church. And he went through his his brother George Cable. And I'm honored to have known him. What a godly man. That's very simple. I wouldn't say he's at fault for doing that. It's brilliant way to find out who God's elect are scattered in the institutions. Now once, not talking about him, but any place like that, the people gather and they want a place to train their children, to baptize new converts, to gather, meet, and worship. So you raise the funds. It's not a sin. Have a place to meet. It's not a sin. Maybe you build a building. Not a sin. You gather and you train your children and gain literature and it starts to happen. Now, here's what happens. This is just my analysis of it, subject to critique from anyone. What happens is over a couple of generations, the children of the founders become the leaders of the institution. And I think the primary error of Christendom is the assumption that the way to perpetuate the church is through the children of believers. And that's exactly what Rome did. And so election is not genetic. I'm not trying to let you down hard. okay? Because every new Christian parent is beaming with children that we believe are going to be the future Christians. Some are, some aren't. Election is not genetic. Some of those are the, the church has become very good at Christianizing the unregenerate. So you can't really tell the difference. And they're trained to have the outward, not out of bad motives. Everybody wants their kids to behave to be Christian but elections not genetic so the next generation maybe don't even realize they're not Christian some aren't some are the ones that are always love the gospel and they end up being trained and becoming the teachers then they're the teachers for the next generation two or three generations later the people coming up are so far removed from it they're disgusted with what is there Eric ran into this he can speak to this better than I So now, what do you have at the Baptist institution after a few generations? We want abortion. We want pronouns. We want a neogram. We want mysticism, contemplative prayer, because they're not born of God. They have no real spirituality. So they want an evangelicalized spirituality that's real. But it's not from God. And then we're fighting it, Say, what are you doing? Why are you bringing this? Why are you teaching this stuff? Well, because the institution continues to exist through the children of the original founders, and new converts from the outside come in and look around and say, well, what? I was converted out of liberalism. I had nothing to do with Baptist or Pentecostal. But pretty soon, the external converts are so few that all you have is the grandchildren, great grandchildren, great great grandchildren spread out of the original, and, the, and you have a non Christian institution. Does, does that analysis make any sense? So, here's what you say, well, I, I, many people say, what's the answer? The answer is to teach the gospel, preach the truth, look for fruit, and don't Christianize anything that's not converted. And if you have a a son or a daughter who's not serving God, we have to accept that that happens. We don't control it. We can only control what we teach. And if somebody is converted, they will come hungry, You couldn't get them out of the church. So we don't create a a fellowship that will be comfortable if you don't know Christ. Nor do we try to teach people, you act your best and you act like a Christian. Don't embarrass your parents. Because eventually you have the institution without the regeneration. Now, the organic church only exists through regeneration. The organic church is consists of those born of God who are attached to the head. Christianized culture makes it hard to see who that is because everybody acts the same and talks the same. Some people maybe don't know. I understand that. But if we keep teaching the word of God, training the flock, preaching the truth, If they get offended over pronouns, they're probably not Christian. If the Bible uses a generic he, it's not a sin to use what the Bible does. But when I was at seminary, you'd get an F if you did that. Because they didn't want to offend the grandchildren of Christians who had worldly sensibilities rather than biblical ones. Does that make sense? Go ahead, Eric.
4: Yeah, amen. You know, when I was at uh, Bethel and then going to Northwestern Seminary, the issue of the dividing line is always who believes that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And the reason that is is the skill set that you value is based on the scriptures. If you don't think that this is the inerrant word of God, then who cares about exegesis? So Bob sits under some of the greatest scholars on the planet, and they'll do great exegesis. They'll get into the Greek. They'll make arguments based on grammar, syntax, history, and the unregenerate yawn. They don't care why, because this isn't an authority anyway. So that's why they never made money. Second Timothy four three: in the last days, people heap up for themselves teachers to tell them things after their own desires. And the vast majority of people, they don't want to learn the Bible because they're unregenerate. And so being the remnant is never a winning cause for the institution. You're always going to be the minority. You're always going to be those who are short on funds, preaching the truth, teaching the truth, doing the hard, word of exeg- hard work of exegesis, saying, I don't believe it because I just made it up. I believe it because this text of Scripture says it, and here are the reasons. That's the hard work. I sit in a class at Bethel. The teacher was a man named Laron Schultz. He denied separation of body and soul at death. Second Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He doesn't like it. He doesn't believe it. And he writes a whole book, not based on anything in the Bible, but simply his imagination. So you have the imagination supplanting the inspiration of Scripture. But as Bob is saying, the institution can thrive on that because that makes money. And the it, it, money is what
0: drives it. You know, the, the man I debated from, this, from the emergent church grew up in one of the most solid Evangelical churches here in the Twin Cities. Yeah, that's right. Doug Pageant. And they the the people that were leaders there did not they were shocked to find out he didn't even believe in a substitutionary atonement, blood atonement, future judgment. He grew up in their church and they didn't know he didn't believe any of that. They thought he was one of their children who was successful because he had a growing movement under him. But when we got into the debate, it turns out he didn't believe any of those things. So I'm not here to dash anybody's hope for their children. I'm here to give us all sober-minded look at it. And God gave me mercy, but uh, when when our daughter wasn't serving God, it became obvious. And somebody said, "Well, I offended her. Now she's not going to serve God." because the lady had told her the truth. I said, good, at least now we know where we're at. (laughs) Now she's serving God, and she brings more joy. But we don't know. It could be none of the children of a certain Christian family will serve God. We're not in charge of the process. If you create a Christian-making mill that's highly successful, and it turns out Christian after Christian after Christian, as if there is no doctrine of election through eccentricities like rome is the best i mean they perfected it to get out you just you suffer everybody's scorn but if we create that that's what the institution does but if we have an organic church that is attached to the head we will feed the flock and if somebody's not even sure but they come and they're willing to hear the word of god we rejoice in that that's the organic church if the group doesn't perpetuate itself 30 years from now, that doesn't matter because the church is going to go on. It's going to be whoever's attached to the head. Does that... Dan, you asked a fabulous question. Thank you. Yes.
2: So if you really want to know if you're born again or not, it's a litmus test that's so simple and so easy. Do you have a love of the gospel truth? Yeah. Yes or no? I mean, it's that easy. I have a brother in Christ here who attends this church, and I won't mention his name, but Brian Beers said, he goes, I can't go a week without hearing the gospel. I've got to come to church to hear the gospel. <laughs> and I think that is the litmus test of born again. Do you love the gospel? Yeah. One more here. And then
0: we're, we're going over here. Yes, Paula.
6: Yeah. Um, how How do you
0: my close well, uh,
6: how, how do you go about um, demonstrating to people who believe all the facts they give mental assent to all the facts uh, the Bible says I'm a sinner I must be but they've never been humbled themselves they've never seen their own sin um, and and because of that uh, they 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 uh, they continue to um, ma- manifest really the, uh, the the behaviors of unregenerate people. They're gossips and slanderers, but they're in the church in high standing, and they believe all the facts from cover to cover, yeah. but they've never been humbled. Well,
0: there, there's not a how-to to solve the problem, but there is the command of God to shepherd the flock. And so what we do is we teach the truth patiently teach the truth instruct the truth look for fruit and if someone's willing to be part and not demand the right to 87 pronouns or you know all the silliness is out there you can't you can't follow the bible for what it says this has come to the fore even at the time of the reformation paula where they, okay so if Rome doesn't define a church how do we know what a church is? And the simplest the baseline is the authority of scripture, priesthood, or believer how do you know that a church is gathering? And here was their definition I disagree with terminology but not the basic definition wherever the word of God is purely taught and they use the word sacraments which assumes something I don't assume, but where the the means of grace, I would call it, the Lord's Supper, fellowship or practice according to the Lord's institution, is not to be doubted that there a church exists. So with the Reformation, they had a real simple baseline. The word of God is purely taught, and what the Lord ordained as institution of the Lord's Supper and the basics, prayer, fellowship of the believers, Practice that's what all you need, and we can't guarantee the outcome, nor can we start the Christian mill and out they come, Christian purpose driven. They're gonna manufacture Christians, we only God makes Christians, and you know, the guilt uh, people fall under guilt like they failed their children, or they're terrible Christians, or they didn't do it right. Christians have gone through the same sorrow as long as Christians have existed. And it breaks our hearts. But it's better to admit that some of our kids aren't serving God than to redefine the church to make it so it looks like everybody's okay. Does that make sense? Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. And it's just, it's your mercy that any of us would have a hunger to learn the truth, Help us get the categories to be biblical as we study together. Pray for Pastor Eric as he teaches the word of God to us that our hearts would be open to the truth as we may learn and grow in search of scriptures together. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)